Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 38 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Stamatina Vasileris about the hard lessons she learned from launching her own collection to working for brands in New York City's Garment District. If you missed last week's episode, this is in response to that as well as the emails I sent out the week before. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. But Stamatina reached out to me in response to some emails I had put about the hard lessons I had learned in my fashion journey. And she had gone through a lot of the same things. She said she wished she had done a lot of things differently and she wished she could share some advice with all the young designers out there. So I invited her on the show to share her story and to tell you guys what her thoughts are on ways she could have done things better and what she would have done differently and her best advice. After investing over $20,000 of her own money into her collection of evening wear dresses, Stamatina learned the hard way how much time, cash, and work it took to get a brand off the ground. She made a lot of mistakes from sourcing and fabrics to pricing and assortments. And as I mentioned earlier, she wants to make sure designers like you don't make the same mistakes. In this interview, she shares her best advice on doing your research and having transparent agreements with your suppliers, the importance of budgeting and not spreading yourself too thin, and why you can't afford, literally why you can't afford, to let yourself get in over your head. You need to live your life and you need to make those mistakes to become wiser. But you also, I think the most important thing is to know when to stop. Because for instance, if I kept going, charging my credit cards continuously, I would have been in so much debt that I probably would not know how to get out of. Before we get started, I want to remind you, if you haven't yet checked out the ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer, I definitely suggest checking that out. It's one of the most recent resources I've released, and I've already been getting tons of emails and replies from you guys that designers are seeing results in negotiating their rates, landing new contracts, getting more clear on how to organize their portfolio. And if you haven't dug into this resource yet, it's definitely something you should do. It's over 20,000 words and it's absolutely free and it walks you through step-by-step of finding and reaching out clients, figuring out and negotiating your rates, and presenting yourself professionally. I'm so excited to share this amazing resource with you guys. Uh, Whether you're new to freelancing or you want to get started and Maybe you've been doing it for a while and you know there's always room to improve. Wherever you're at, check it out right now at sfdnetwork.com slash freelance. As always, if you don't want to miss out on upcoming episodes, make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you enjoy the show, I'd be thrilled if you'd take 30 seconds to leave a review or rating on iTunes. It really helps out and I appreciate it so much. You can do that at sfdnetwork.com slash review. Now, on to the interview with Stamatina. 
To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 38. Well, welcome, Stamatina, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Um, to start out, please tell everybody who you are and what your fashion background is. Okay. Hi, everyone. Hi, Heidi. It's nice <laughs> to speak to you again. It's been a long time. Um, my name is Stamatina. I am a Greek-American, well, sorry, let me back that up. I was a fashion designer. I decided to stop designing from like maybe three years ago now. And um, I used to design evening wear under my own name, Samatina Couture. I did some casual wear, some accessories, some t-shirts. Um, and currently I'm in Athens, Greece. Okay. So. And, and beyond uh, your own collection of evening wear, you also worked in the industry as an employee, right? I did. Um, I first started out in 2008 uh, when I moved back to the States because I graduated from Athens, Greece. I moved back to the States. I went to the Carolinas. South, I was in South and North Carolina at the time. And I started my own fashion label. But then, um, you know, with the economy... And the crisis and everything that was going on at that time, I realized I was at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong market. <laughs> I eventually stopped and decided that I think it was like around 2012, actually, that it, it would have been best for me to stop that and work for companies. And that's when I moved back to New York and I started working in the fashion industry. I worked... Um, as a fashion designer in a company, I won't mention the name. <laughs> and of course, I was promised a raise within six months. Um, I had no one to show me uh, the system there, to show me their files. It was a mess, and I had to take over everything. So um, for anyone out there that has went from doing their own business to working for someone else, it's two different worlds. Yeah. It's, yeah. And here I was in a company where I had no one to show me anything, literally no one. I had to figure it out all by myself. And, you know, I was promised a raise, so I was trying my best. If I didn't want to go to lunch or if I felt like I had so much work, I wanted to impress my boss, I would sit in my chair. I wouldn't move. I would continue working till he was happy. Yeah. But... Of course, that raise never came. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that didn't come. And um, I would do things, you know, like clean out the library, like the fabric library. He had a room where everything was categorized by the fabrics, by the prints, and I had to clean everything out. I mean, I just, I did a lot. And then he would hire and fire other people, but he would keep me. <laughs> and I would have to teach them as if I had worked for other companies prior to his. I don't know. I guess he felt like I was responsible enough to do all this. But when it came down to the pay for a raise, he pretty much kind of like laughed it off. And, you know, and there was like a lot of flirting on his part, which made me feel extremely uncomfortable. 
I don't know if that's uh, something you want to talk about, Heidi. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, we can talk about anything that you want. Um, you know, it's interesting. This whole conversation kind of spurred because um, you responded to some emails that I had sent out and you made some comments yeah. about, you know, you went through some tough times with your own label and with working in the industry. Yeah, and I you, did. you made some comments that you wanted to get some of this information and and you even put it in in quotes so get some of the dirt out there and share the real experiences of you know what what kind of goes on behind the scenes and to help educate other designers so first of all they know what they're getting into and second of all of course maybe give them some advice on how they can do things differently so their road is maybe not so rocky so you know Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess we could start a little bit more. Um, would it make sense to start a little bit more on a timeline? So you started your own collection first. So do you right, want to maybe I talk did. a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. So what happened with my collection is I was invited to be a part of uh, the Charlotte Fashion Week, which was the first Fashion Week Charlotte ever did. And here I was, somebody who just graduated. And I was so excited. I was like, you know what? I want to take this opportunity. I get to show my work right away. Uh, I was told that there were going to be buyers there, probably like from Neiman Marcus and other stores like that. And I was super excited. Here I was designing like over 20 designs, evening wear, all silk, all Zorowski crystals, all handmade. I actually would travel from South Carolina at that time to my seamstress who was in Maryland. So I would travel a lot and often to go check up on the dresses, to go check up on my patterns and all of that. And some of them, when the models came, had to be adjusted. Well, I had to do the sourcing uh, for the fabric, the trims and all of it. I had no idea where I can find my products, the things that my material for cheap, because I was a newbie, I didn't know. So with that said, it's like I spend literally over 20,000 just on that collection as if I was, I don't know, some huge designer (laughs) and I was just starting out. Make a long story short, the fashion show happened. Everybody loved the designs, but there were no buyers there. There was no one there. I mean, there were just, you know, local celebrities, but what are you going to get out of that? You know, when you do so much, you put so much, you expect something in return instead of just, you know, a, you know, clapping at the end of the show, you want, you want your business to, you know, roll and you have this impression that, oh, I'm going to have the show and things are going to go smooth and that's it. But it's not just that. You have to create your brand. You have to create your, your image. You have to do your website. You have to find your models. It's all time consuming. And if you don't have a team behind you to support you, you're a one woman show. So you're eating, breathing, sleeping, thinking, fashion, designing, everything. It's all you. It's all you. You don't have a life. And that's the truth. Like I didn't. I mean, my friends would go partying, go to clubs. I was sitting home, designing, trying to find things that, you know, would get me one step closer to my dream, to making it happen. And so a lot of the times throughout those years, 
I was home <laughs> and everybody else was living their life. Why? Because I would have rather spent my $100 or $5 or $10 on my dream and not living my life. And so, I mean, now that I look back, it's still, I still get a little excited thinking about it because it's like it was a dream of mine. And sometimes they say that I'll still get back into it. But what I would like people to know is that my mistake was I started with really expensive materials. I had really um, unique, I guess, ideas. I wanted to reach the top right away. I didn't want to crawl. I wanted to run. <laughs> and I think it's the truth, though, you know, I mean, so I wanted I wanted that and I thought it was possible. What I realized is I met a lot of people on the way and they weren't who they were saying. For instance, I met a lot of people who would introduce themselves telling me that they are in the industry the next amount of years. Ten years later, they're saying how they're just in the industry ten years, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. So back then I had met this special lady. She was in PR and she had told me, fake it till you make it. That kind of stuck to me because I wasn't that person. I couldn't fake it till I make it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't say, you know what? I've been in the industry for 10 years. Meanwhile, I was just starting off, but that's what the industry wants. That's what they want. It's, a, it's unfortunate, but like in my experience, and I hate to admit it, but that's what the industry wants. They want you to either fake it till you make it. And let me tell you, this lady that's in PR, that she's doing PR, she's doing extremely well for herself. And I'm proud of her because she had it in her to do that. Unlike me, who I gave it up because I couldn't fake it till I made it. <laughs> but um, I think there's a difference between like faking it till you make it and uh -huh. just like flat out lying. You think so? I don't know anymore. It's like I, when I look back now, I actually don't think that there's a different hiding. I feel because also if you actually look at job um, requirements, they tell you that, oh, we want like five-year requirements, five years um, of designing or tech packaging or, but it's like, if I just got out of school, how do I have five years? You either want me to flat out lie to you or... I'm not going to get the job, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and just to be completely transparent, um, coming from my perspective, I would never advise anybody to lie on their resume like that. Um, no, I, I don't agree with it okay. either. But that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't agree with it. Okay. That's the reason why it's like a lot of things didn't work out for me. But what I'm trying to say is like the image that the industry gives you is yeah. that you have to do that. I'm not saying that you should do it. I'm not, I'm not agreeing with it because if I was agreeing with it and if I was capable, I would have done it myself. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But I mean, if we're going to speak honestly, it's like when you go and you look for jobs and you read their requirements, how does a person out of school find a job? Unless they do internship and then they get lucky enough and that company hires them. 
So, <laughs> yeah, which I think is a path that a lot of people do go. I mean, okay, so to be completely transparent, yeah, a lot of people do have a really hard time finding a job and nothing works out. Or people right. get the internship and get their foot in the door and something does work out or some other route happens, which could be a right. ton of other options, right? Right, um, yes. But, yeah, speaking honestly, it's hard. It's very hard. Um, and so... And, and we can talk a little bit more about that. But I want to go back to something you said a second ago. You said, you know, you wanted to get to the top right away. And you kind uh-huh. of like dove right in with really expensive fabrics. And I did, collection. Yes. I think you said of like 20 dresses. and Yeah, probably more than 20. I think it was more like 24 around there. Okay. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. you should have crawled, but instead you ran. So like what would you, would you have just scaled back the number of pieces and yes. skipped the fashion show yes. and gone to do something so. else? Like talk. A little bit about that. Sure. So, if I had the money that I spent back then, I would have done less designs. I would have focused on just my extremely unique pieces that I felt would have grabbed their attention, and I would have looked for cheaper fabrics. First of all, people don't want to spend so much money on new designers, I feel. Like they would rather go give that X amount to Versace or Gucci or Fendi or, you know what I mean? So I would have, my cost should have been way less. Mm. Yeah. So I would have looked, not, and then not only did I get expensive material, I got different kinds of material, meaning all sorts of silks. And I should have narrowed it down to maybe one or two and maybe one or two colors. What I did was I did multiple different types of silks and different colors. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. What the, what the smart move would have been is less designs, cheaper fabrics, cheaper material, and um, get your point across simple. Simple, simple, simple. That's all. Because I was looking for that extravagant look, that evening wear. And today, if you could have gave me that money back to do it all over again, that's what I would do. I would go and find cheaper fabrics, cheaper trims, and do the same designs, possibly with a few little differences here and there, but not as expensive. Definitely not as expensive. You know, it's really interesting because um, I, I love this point so much. I was listening to this other episode of a, of a different podcast called Loose Threads, and these guys were telling this story about how when they were first launching their collection, they really, you know, they felt like they had to have this really specific color fabric, and so they bought the grayish, which is undyed fabric, and then they, ha- they had it custom-dyed in Brooklyn, and they were, like, schlepping bolts of fabric, riding city bikes, and mm-hmm. when they look back at it in hindsight they said you know we were not big enough to be spreading ourselves that thin we were not ordering exactly enough. we didn't have the demand and so I think there's a time and place where you have to look at what you're putting out versus how much money you have to spend versus how much of a difference that perfect shade of red is going to make and and versus being smart and saying okay you know what I, I'm, I'm not going to afford the custom buttons on this I will use available right. buttons that are a lot more cost effective and I will you I will save costs here and maybe like you said minimize the colors and minimize the the different types of fabrics that you use across uh-huh. different styles and, and I even find mm-hmm. and still do that with brands I work 
work with today that manufacture overseas, you know, 500 SKU, 500 units per style, we're still really smart about um, and conscious and mindful about where are we going to use this fabric in multiple places. You can't always just get exactly what you want. Sometimes you have to compromise a little bit so that mm-hmm. your resources go further. I mean, that's kind of exactly. what I took about, out of what you said. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly it. My point is that I I didn't think like that back then. I was just thinking about getting my ideas out there, and I yeah. wasn't thinking about the money. Yeah. Uh, until you know, um, you know, you run dry eventually because it's expensive, especially yeah. if you want to keep your ideas just the way you imagine them, and you don't want to like sacrifice a little bit and make a little adjustments to those ideas. Yeah. So yeah, my thing is if somebody's starting out today. I would say think before you spend, think um, how you can make it cheaper. That's the best advice I think I would give to somebody today. Like think of how you can make your idea cheaper, like the cost being as cheap as possible without, of course, you know, the fabric falling apart. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But, you know, don't spend like, I don't know, $50, $60 a yard either. Yeah. You know, try to keep it much lower than that because in the long run, it doesn't add up, you know? And, and the profit is not as great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, did you really think, like when you were first putting those designs together, did you think about profit margin in terms of like how much this dress is costing me and then how much can I really sell it for? No. No, I didn't think about that. My whole, I just literally jumped in. I got so excited that there were going to be buyers there that um, I didn't have background in um, selling. So I didn't exactly know. All I knew is what it was costing me. And I figured like, you know, okay, if it costs me this much, I was told that I need to price them like two and a half percent up, like not two and a half percent up, like double the price of my costing, in other right, words. Right. So... And still, like the dresses, if I did that, they were coming out to over $2,000 a dress. Mm. And we're talking about a lot of money. And, you know, again, a lot of people would tell me, you know, if I'm going to spend that much money, I'd rather go give it to Gucci or go give it to, you know, somebody else that's already known out there. Yeah. So so perhaps your price point was just, as you said earlier, a bit too high for people to invest in, in, a, in a new designer they've not heard of. Yeah, of course, because my cost was high. So, yeah. of course, my prices were high. My seamstresses were expensive. My seamstress alone wanted like $500 a dress. Yeah. I didn't, and I didn't know back then to look and, you know, um, do my research and find maybe somebody to pay per hour because it was a big project. Yeah. She was, she was alone working on so many dresses. I should have probably had multiple seamstresses at the time. And- so. Okay, and so um, so I think it's just a matter of doing more research and being smarter about where you put your dollars. Um, sure. And also being mindful of the end price and what is your customer really willing to pay um, mm-hmm. for your product versus, yeah, they'll spend 2000 on a on a big-name dress, but right. not, yes. not someone that they just have heard of the first time. Yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, that that is like my feedback like that's the feedback that i would get from people that i actually knew that that is exactly what they were telling me so this is not something that i'm just like throwing out there this is stuff that i was actually told so i mean i think it's something to keep in mind if you're out there and you want to start your own collection yeah 
Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so you got you got a little starry-eyed with this fashion show, and then right. nothing really happened. And so what did you do next, or... You know what? Yeah, what? Talk to us uh, yeah. about what so happened. Yeah. So after that, so after that, um, of course, I wasn't going to give up. <laughs> Who gives up, right? Yeah. Um, you have this dream. You want to fulfill it. You're like, you know, you have to find. I'm the type of person I have to find ways to get where I want to go, either one way or another. So what I did next was like, okay, I was thinking to myself, you know, if silks are so expensive and you know my price was so high, maybe I need to go a different route, maybe more casual. So the next thing I did was um, I did a collection of casual wear, and I kept it all to one color, which was all black. And I went to Philadelphia, where my, my pattern maker was. And I went, and my seamstresses were actually there as well. So um, I was having a lot of back and forth with Pennsylvania now, from the Carolinas to Pennsylvania. We did our photo shoot there. The collection was beautiful, in my opinion. I don't regret it. But again, um, my pattern maker was expensive. My seamstresses were not as expensive as the first ones, but my pattern maker at this point was expensive. And let's say like um, she either made a mistake on the prototype. I was paying for her to fix the prototype. You know what I mean? Or... If I missed a little information, you know, in measurements or whatever, because she didn't have that missing information, I, I ended up paying for that missing information. So my advice, again, would be to be extremely careful with your numbers, uh, be more cautious when you're giving them to the pattern makers. I don't know how every other pattern maker out, is out there, but you need to be very specific when you are creating your own line. Um, with your measurements and you need to have a good agreement with the pattern makers um, with that said again my tops were like 300 and at this point I realized that making clothing in the USA is expensive period okay so so I want to talk about a few things specifically that you just said. Um, right. have, a, have a good agreement with your pattern maker. Like, what would that yes. really look like? Um, for, well, listen, for in my experience, I was literally, like, if I had missed even a single measurement or if I wasn't clear enough for her, she would make it to... As, as it was on paper, for instance, and if it was wrong in any way, if it was too short or if it was too small or if it needed to be taken in just a little bit, I would probably have to pay at least $75 for that change to be made. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is, like, speak to your pattern maker, you know, if, for God forbid, you know, you're missing a little detail or whatever it is, speak to her and tell her, you know what, please, before you... Um, charge me on anything possibly you know give me heads up maybe I can fix it before we produce it Mm. and you know because I spend a lot of money on her as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean a lot of money goes left and right when you don't know better yeah that's what happens and so then and then you made the comment about um you know producing in the U.S. um yes was really pricey um yes but there's a balance though because when you when you go overseas, you have huge minimums. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? So, what my thoughts on that is that when you're starting out your line, the, realistically, you need to have financial backup. 
And by that, I mean, because I was also a fan of having everything made in the USA. But the truth is, Heidi, when you're making things in the USA, they're expensive. Like, I'm telling you, the powder maker was expensive. The seamstress was expensive. And when you are a new designer, you can't go to the factory um, and say, I want 300 pieces of this design or I want 400 pieces of this design. So you're either going to sit down and make everything yourself or you're going to have to find a team and work with them because unless you have um, the financial backup, because it's not what I learned later on is not is um, I'm sorry, is that you need to be able to produce and produce and produce, meaning you need to have your collection and then you need to make another collection and another collection. You can't just make one collection and think that you're going to be known and that's it. No, even if you don't sell a piece, you have to make your next collection continue with your ideas. And a lot of designers go through this. And even though they have so many followers on Instagram and on um, Facebook and on you know all social media apps, it you know that doesn't mean that they're selling. Yeah, it just means yeah. And I think a lot of you know of the new designers um, they have this false image. That just because so-and-so has X amount of followers, that they must be banking it. <laughs> and they're not. You know, it's just, it's an image. And I guess that goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. <laughs> so it's all about the way you handle yourself as well and what you put out there for people to see. I mean, I know that I'm going a little off topic again, but um, one subject brings the other subject. So again, if you're starting out, I really feel that you either need to sit down and make everything yourself or you need a team where everybody has something to win at the end of the day. Because if you do it the way I did it, it's going to cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I literally left the industry because there was no way that I could keep just spending money and not getting anything in return. Yeah. Yeah. There was no way. And again, it's like I had this thing. I wanted my clothes to say made in USA. But I was paying a pretty penny for that. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think, Heidi? What do you think is, like, the right thing, if there is a right thing? <laughs> I mean, again, you know, I think it, it's it's definitely wise to focus on starting small and crawling. And I think mm -hmm. that one of the things that a lot of designers get stuck in is... You, we get so excited about designing and developing the collection, and so we, we, you know, we're creatives, and so we design, and then we put our money, whatever money that ha that that may be, you know, for you, you said you put about twenty thousand into your dresses, so you put that in, and then you forget about okay, I actually have to go out and sell this and how do I actually get people to buy this, whether that's buyers from the department stores or whether that's retail buyers. Um, and by then, you're, you're trying to focus on selling and it's already time to create another collection. Exactly. Um, so, exactly. You, know, you know, I think there's some different models out there that can work a little bit better versus collections. You know, you can look at item-driven um, yeah. assortments and, and focus on, you know, one or two just or three key pieces um, and introduce those in, in just a new color next season. That way you're not redeveloping all your patterns. Um, right. So I think there's ways to do it. You know, without uh -huh. developing these huge collections, but I think one of the things that's really under-emphasized and, and under-discussed is 
how hard it is to actually sell the product. It's so, extremely hard, I yeah, think, because not that. all. Yeah, because all right. So listen, you go from designing to picking out your fabrics to working with your seamstresses, your pattern makers. And let's say the show is over; it's done with, and now all of a sudden, in my case, for instance, there were no buyers there. All right, fine. What do I do next? I start looking up all the boutiques in the area. I start looking up yeah. all the boutiques in the 50 states just to make sure that, you know, um, they're selling evening wear. Maybe I need to send out my little catalog with my all my styles to them and my prices to them, my wholesale prices. So here I am mailing out these things, mailing out everything, my brochures, everything, all about me, all about... You know, I didn't hear back from anyone. I felt like maybe my brochures were still stuck in the post office somewhere because mm. I did not hear back from anyone. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Then I would go to the Atlanta. There's a, a market in Atlanta. There's a show that they do every year and yeah. they have like a bridal event. And I mean, I was part of that too. Nothing came from that either. So here I was and I'm like, is it my designs? Is it my prices? But you know what? And then I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, so how about if somebody did come to me right now and told me that they wanted 300 dresses of this style? I would have to find a factory overseas and I would have to see how quick and how fast they would have to, you know, they could ship them over to me, make them produce, you know, and ship them over to me. So what I'm trying to say is that it's literally not as easy as it looks. It's not all about the glamour because here you are designing and you think that that's probably your only responsibility but it's really not you have to be you know you have to be the designer you have to be on top of the seamstresses, the pattern makers the models the photographers the websites you have to do your branding you have to do everything and you have to run out there and sell all your products and what happens when you're stuck with inventory and you can't get rid of it what happens it's a hard you either it's extremely hard because here you are and you're like, what do I do now? Do I give up? Do I keep going? And of course this didn't work out. So do I, I go a different route? And at this point, like the money's getting lower, like, you know, your bank account is like going down, 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 down. And here you are charging credit cards now. That's why I really loved your email. I'm like, Oh, this sounds so familiar to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the worst thing that you can do. But you know what? That's what happens when you believe in yourself and you have this dream and you believe in your dream so much, you get carried away. And sometimes you need a reality check. So after that, after I started, I found myself charging my credit cards for my work. I was like, I got to stop. I really have to stop. And that's when I decided, you know what? This is this is it for me. This is where I draw the line. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And that's when I decided I was going to go to New York. So it's really hard. It's extremely hard, but I think it's possible as long as you have the right team, like don't think that you're going to go out there and you can do it all by yourself. I think the best thing is to have a team behind you, a team that believes in your ideas. And you know, if with respect and appreciation, you can go a long way. Yeah, that's what I think. Um, and again, you need to be smart about your costs. You need to be smart about your fabrics, your ideas. And, you know, you don't have to design over 20 dresses or 20 shirts or 20 different pants. You can keep it to five. You can keep it to like maybe one pants 
and do like five different tops. Right. You don't you don't have to do what I did. I my my way was the wrong way completely. And it took me a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of stress until I realized that. And trust me, I didn't want to give up, but I didn't really have a choice either. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of things that um, I don't want to see new designers do because it's like I already know it's a mistake and it hurts me to watch them. Like it really hurts me to hear stories like the stories that I've been through. It's sad, yeah. but well, I'm glad that you're putting it out there. Well, thank you. And I'm glad that you're talking openly about it, too. And I think that, you know, there's there's a way to do it um, right. And, and of course, we're all still going to make mistakes. Sometimes 100 people could tell you something and you still have to kind of learn it for yourself. Um, you know, I think some of us can be, like you said, you believe in yourself and you get so... Uh, you put on these rose-colored glasses for your dream, and right. it's, it can be hard to listen to what other people say. It's very easy to convince yourself it's going to be different for you. I think we've all been guilty of that before, so that's okay. Of course. That happens. Mm-hmm. It's a learning process. You know, I always mm-hmm. say, too, like, each thing that you do in life, whether it's a, a huge mistake or a huge failure or a huge success, it you learn and you grow and it leads to the next thing and it leads to the next thing. So you did your, your a couple collections and then you said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go to New York and work in the industry. And so what did that yes. look like for you? Of course, in the beginning, I was thrilled. I'm like, this is where I want to be, back home because I am from New York. So I was extremely thrilled to be back. Um, at first I was like, you know what? It's okay that nobody's else, nobody else is in the company as a designer. I felt like I was trusted and I was responsible enough and I could have done it, but the industry is rough. Like what I'm trying to say is like, they just throw you in there and they expect you to know everything, especially maybe it was just the company that I ended up working for. Um, but I had no idea. I had no idea what was expected of me at all. Um, I handled it, I think, pretty well. <laughs> and I think, yeah, because like it was my first job like in the industry working under someone else. And I felt really good. I mean, I got to the point where, you know, he would hire new new girls, new designers, and I would was the one teaching them. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And, you know, and in six months, I'm going to get this raise and like, it's OK. And, you know, even though at times. And there was a lot of tension um, because, you know, we would have to work on deadlines and all that. Uh, I was still okay with it. I mean, but then it got to the point where, like, he wanted me to go shop for his house, <laughs> like curtains and things like that, because he was building a new house. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> so sometimes in the fashion industry, you know, you have a job description, but the truth is you might be asked to do other things as well. And so I felt a little uncomfortable because not because it was anything crazy, but it was like, okay, this is not my job description. But I figured that, you know what, this guy is trusting me with his credit card. So maybe it's a good thing, you know, and I'm going to get my raise in six months. So that's all good. But eventually, you know, you realize you're not getting that raise. (laughs) And then, you know, just to be on the safe side, you ask for it and you still don't get it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, it's not bad working in the fashion industry, but you need to have a strong stomach. You really do because, 
you know, your boss is going to say something to you. You're not going to like it. You know, you might have a little uh, confrontation. You might not agree with his ways because then I went to work for another company and I realized, and I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but I realized after a while that my boss didn't know how to sketch. So, for instance, he would tell me I want this skirt a little longer with a little slant and blah, 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 blah. And I would do it the way he would want me to do it. And then he would come back and he'd be so mad at me. And he would be like, oh, no, I want it this way, that way, and this way, and that way. And I'm like, okay, if you just changed your mind about your whole design, that's fine with me. But you don't have to yell. And what I'm trying to say is, like, sometimes you need to, you need to just put up with them if you want to keep your job. And that's the truth. Like you just, you need to be able to have a strong stomach because the industry is rough and they're not going to sit there and, you know, clap at you. They're not going to like pat you on the back and tell you bravo or whatever. It's not like that <laughs> because the job that you have and the job that, you know, the, that's a job that a lot of other women want. And a lot of other men are looking forward to. So the truth is that even though you might be an amazing um, designer, you need to be able to communicate and you need to be able to respect your boss. And But if it does get out of hand, you need to be able to stand up for yourself as well. That's my personal experience in the fashion industry as, you know, as an employee. Yeah. That, and it's kind of rough when you have leadership skills in you to take orders, which is for me, it was fine to take orders, but sometimes it was just like the way that they were thrown at me. So, I mean, you, you literally have to have a really strong stomach in this industry. You can't think that, you know, they're just going to like be okay with everything. And I don't know. Do you think have you had a, what's that? Have, have you had any experience like that? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I've been, I, you know, I, I worked in the industry as an employee for just a few years until I branched out and, and did my own thing um, freelancing, which for me has been a much better setup. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I was promised raises that I never got and um, I was overloaded with work and asked to do, I mean, I never got asked to do any like personal errands, but, yeah, you know, people were let go and I inherited their job responsibilities but didn't get any compensation or even a title yes. a title change from that you know and mm -hmm. you're you're working and working and working to the point of like genuine like mental and physical exhaustion I mean I yes. even just talking about it sometimes I think back and I'm like I was in constant like frantic go mode yes um, exactly your heart like never stops pounding you just no. feel like a, a hot mess most of the time and you're not you sleeping. are a hot mess yeah yeah because um, you want to you want to do your job the best you can yeah. and and even if you do sometimes it's not good enough for them mm -hmm. so you keep pushing yourself like i spend endless nights trying to figure out things on illustrator trying to make things more realistic trying to make things even better and still it wasn't good enough for them so you know expect that like for anybody that's like out there listening like you don't don't think that you're not going to get that that that's just the way the bosses are that's just the way the people on top are they want you to always push yourself they always want like a better results that's what they always look for and that's what i realized afterwards that 
no matter how good you are, they're not going to tell you you're the best. They're going to tell you, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this a little differently, a little better. Even if they themselves don't know that, you know, the, how to do it, they're going to expect you to figure it out. That's, that's my conclusion from my experience. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, to be totally transparent, there mm-hmm. are good experiences out there. And now listen, anything in fashion is hard, period. You're going to work hard. It's a tough industry. I think it there's is. various levels of, um, of, of challenges. Um, I think there is, it, it is leaning more towards really tough, really tough work environments um, than, you know, other industries might have. Um, you know, I'm curious to know, like, do you, is there anything you would have done differently during that time in your life in terms of whether it was how you handled working with that particular person or trying to find a different opportunity or like looking back on that, what would you tell yourself? Um, with the companies that I worked for, to be quite honest with you, I, I have no regrets. I honestly, yeah, I feel like I did my best. And so, therefore, I have no regrets. The only thing now that I, when I think back, is I should have probably done freelancing. That is, like, the only thing I didn't do. And the only thing that, you know, after reading your email, I was like, you know what? I didn't give that a try. And I'm like, hmm, <laughs> maybe that's what it, that, maybe that would have been the, the right direction for me. Yeah. Because, like, another thing that I realized, there were some days, especially in the second company that I went to, that he really had no work for me. Like he, and I was like, again, I was the only designer there. So he really had no work for me. And I'm like, why am I here? Like, there was nothing for me to do. So I think freelancing would have been the best option, even for this company. And I don't know why he wasn't looking for a freelancer himself. Yeah. So I, after reading, like, that's why I love keeping up with you, because it's like, you just like, I don't know, there's just things that you throw out there that remind me of what I've been through or like how I could have done things differently if I ever want to get back into the game. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> well, I'm interested to know because this is, um, you know, and you don't have to give very much detail at all. But like, were these brands that you worked with in New York, would they be qualified as like, um and I don't, glamorous might not be the right word, but, but let me rewind and kind of explain the direction I'm going. I've talked to other people who have found that, um, you know, working with some, you know, more quote unquote fun, really designy type of product tends to be a more competitive, more cutthroat, more abusive type of environment, whereas you step back and you look at, uh, like, doing, I I mean, not to, uh, I guess, um, like, maybe, like, more boring stuff, like, more everyday product, um, less glamorous, like, more middle of America, like, those can be the brands that tend to treat you a little better. Like, I've heard many people say that, and that's an experience I've had personally as well. Okay. Well, the first a company was fast fashion. Okay. I mean, yeah. So it was a company that was doing uh, different things very fast. It was like, you know, you send the design straight to China and within like two, three weeks, the shipment was in. You had to make sure the designs were right. The products, you know, were all the way that you wanted them and they were hung up. So buyers can come on and see them, you know, in order. The second company was a company that sells, uh, I think, it, what is it, QVC? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, and it was ladies wear. It was, you know, casual, I'd say. Um, So, again, 
if that helps, yeah. <laughs> if that information helps yeah. at all. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that you don't regret it, though, because like we talked about no. earlier, each thing in life is can be a stepping stone and a learning experience to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So, right. so what happened after after your time in New York with those brands? So what happened is I decided to go a totally different direction. I decided at this point I needed to try something different for myself and maybe lay off the fashion industry for a while. And I went to the beauty industry, which um, is something that I had previous experience with because before becoming a fashion designer, I was a cosmetologist and therefore I already knew about hair and makeup, but now I decided to take it to the next level and learn about permanent makeup, semi-permanent makeup, microblading, which is like a really hot trend. And, you know, I got into the industry of cosmetic tattooing. And so in November, I went to Amsterdam to take a seminar and currently I'm in Athens, Greece, and I'm looking to build my clientele here and see how life is here. So it's a totally different route, <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, I still have fashion in, you know, in the back of my mind and how I can, you know, take that eventually, not right now, down the road. And, you know, put all my knowledge together and create something, you know, unique. Yeah. What do you think yeah. that might look like? Because you said in your email to me, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I'll get back into it someday, but I don't know if it'll ever be as a quote unquote designer. Do you have any like yes. thoughts what you might want to explore? Um, I think that I would like to explore styling mm. um, because, again, I know <laughs> I know how much it takes to be a designer, and <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to go down that road again. Yeah. Um, I, I, I maybe just like me, maybe like put my two cents in a piece and make it a little more unique, but not to start something from scratch again. Like mm. I think. I wouldn't want to go that route. Um, maybe styling, and I, I just, I really love changing people, making them look their best. So let's say I had a client and she want, and she trusts me with her overall look, like mm-hmm. from head to toe, I can pretty much transform them, meaning their hair, their makeup, permanent makeup, styling, I mean, from head to toe. Yeah. So I, and I love that. I love that idea that I can do that for someone because it makes them feel good. And that at the end of the day, we all need to feel good about ourselves. And I think one of the best things in life is to make other people feel good too. So, um, I'm happy, you know, I mean, of course I would have been happy if I was, um, this big fashion designer, but <laughs> it didn't work out that way. And it's okay. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm fine with, I really believe that, you know, everything happens for a reason and we are all where we belong at the moment yeah. and we will get where we need to go as time passes. Yeah. That's such a great so. attitude. And I think, you know, as, as I kind of dug through my journey, um, these past couple of weeks and, even though some of those times were really hard, just like some of the same stuff you went through, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't regret yeah. any of them and they were all learning yeah. experiences. So. We shouldn't. Regrets are a waste of time. <laughs> it's good to learn from your mistakes. Yes. It's good to learn, but there's a difference between knowing you made a mistake and that you have regrets. Yeah. In my opinion. I agree. So I think you need to live your life and you need to make those mistakes to become wiser. But you also, I think the most important thing is to know when to stop. <laughs> I do. I really think because, for instance, if I kept going, charging my credit cards continuously, 
I would have been in so much debt that I probably would not know how to get out of. So I think that there comes a point where you need to realize and look around you and know like when to stop and not, maybe not when to stop, but when to go a different route. Like for instance, if you're a fashion designer and you're trying this hard and it's not going anywhere, maybe you need to turn to styling or maybe you need to turn to something else in the field. You know, because it's not just designing. There's so much out there yeah. that you could do. And I think some of us are just stuck on that little piece. And, you know, maybe it's, we need to just look at all of our options and not just, you know, have tunnel vision. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like for in my case, today I know how to design. And I know what it is to work in the industry. I know what it is to work, you know, for myself. And here I am now in the beauty industry and it's just, it's not that far off from fashion, you know? So at the end of the day, again, I could probably take all my knowledge, put it towards one person and change them completely. And it will, you know, make them happy. Cause again, as I said, you need to be happy and your clients need to be happy. And I think that's so important. Yeah. That's such great advice because um, I just did an interview with a pattern maker and sample sewer mm -hmm. and he loves it. And, you know, I, I think there's so many other things that go into fashion and even like beauty, as you said, that aren't specifically designing. So there are other opportunities um, to still sort of work in the industry and, and use your creative, uh, you know, inspiration that doesn't specifically mean like making a garment from scratch and like creating it on that level. So there's like, there's so many things yeah, you can do. Yeah. There's so many things, as long as you don't have tunnel vision, as long as you have an open <laughs> mind. No, seriously, because I feel like looking back now, I feel like that's exactly what I had tunnel vision. Mm. Like I wanted to get where I wanted to get. I believed that that was another mistake. I was naive and I believed a lot of the things people were just throwing at me, you know, like example, like the buyers were going to be there and they weren't there. Yeah. So, and I, but you know what? It's not their fault. At the end of the day, I take responsibility for my own mistakes and I learned from that. And now I know how to be a little wiser and to ask more questions and to have, you know, to know my own value and know that, you know, if I'm going to spend the next amount of money on something, I want to know that it's actually worth it, that I actually, I'm, I'm going to have a return. Like when you're, you're young and you're, you're just getting out of uh, school, you know, you really, and they tell you this great story, you believe it, you believe it. And it's, it's normal to believe it. And it's great. And you feel amazing and you just want to do the best you can. But reality is very different. So, again, you just take, you know, the mistakes you made and you learn from them. And that's it. You need to have a positive attitude no matter what <laughs> and keep going and yeah. keep going. And that's it. That's all that matters. I think, you know, you could parallel these sort of lessons to anything that we that we do in life. Um, of you know, course. This is kind of a the, life is just the whole learning process journey. Um, Stamatina, this has been so much fun. Is there anywhere was... people can connect with you online? Do you have a website or maybe LinkedIn or Instagram? I have everything. So I have um, I have Instagram and it's. Tama Beautify, T-A-M-A-B-E-A-U-T-I-F-I-E-D. Um, they could also find me on Instagram uh, under Brooklyn Beauty. 
Um, and social media, I have Facebook as well. It's under my name, Stamatina, S-T-A-M-A-T-I-N-A. Last name, Vassilaris. V as in Victor, A-S-S-I-L-A-R-A-S. Awesome. And I will link to all of that in the show notes. And I'll close out with a question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. Um, And I know you're not technically in the fashion-specific industry at the moment, (laughs) but the question is, um, what is something no one ever asked you about working in fashion that you wish they did? The reality of it. Yeah. (laughs) The reality. Exactly. That's why I love this. That's why I was like, when you said to talk, let's talk. I was like right on it because nobody speaks about the truth about the fashion industry. And there's so much more that we can actually talk about. But, you know, everybody needs to live it a little bit on their own and, you know, take the experience and the lessons But the reality, it's like, what's really going on in this industry? (laughs) Because, you know, they see the glitz and the glam and they're like, oh, this is fabulous. This is amazing. I want to be a part of it. But nobody, like, unless you're in it and behind the scenes, you don't know the stress, the sweat, the time and everything that goes on behind it. So, I mean, that's it. The reality, yeah. that's all. Which is great because that's just what we spent the last hour exactly. talking about. So I love and, it. And I'm like, and I'm really happy that I got to speak to you again. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really nice to catch up with you. Yeah, you as well, Samatina. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. on the show. And good luck with everything in Greece. And um, look you. forward to seeing, you know, how your journey continues to, to develop Thank over you, the years. guys. Thank you so much. And good luck to everybody out there that's listening and be positive (laughs) do as much as you can for yourself be happy and stay healthy that's the number one advice stay healthy no matter what (laughs) mental health physical health everything just be happy Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, I'd be really, really appreciative if you took 30 seconds to leave a rating or review. You can do that at sfdnetwork.com review. And before I leave you, I'll remind you to check out the ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer. It's over 20,000 words. It's absolutely free. And it walks you through step by step how to find and reach out to clients to get work, how to figure out and negotiate your rate so you get paid a fair wage, and how to present yourself and your portfolio professionally. I'm so excited that so many designers have already shared success stories like getting new clients or getting a more fair wage with existing clients using the exact strategies I put into this guide. So whether you're new to freelancing and want to get started or even if you've been doing it for a little while and you know there's always room to improve and a few more clients or a little bit better rate wouldn't hurt, check it out now at sfdnetwork.com freelance. Again, it's absolutely free. Last, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 38. Thanks again for listening, you guys. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I will talk to you next week.